Good morning and welcome to Grace Church, guys. So glad to see you guys here, especially those who are watching online, which we can't see, of course, but we know you're here. We're glad that you decided all to join us all. And as Dennis said, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the elders here, and it's my pleasure to bring the word today. Please bow with me in prayer before I begin my message. Lord, I thank you for your word. Please help me to convey from your word the message that you've placed on my heart. Please remove any distractions that may keep us from hearing and understanding your word. Help each person here to hear from you today in a mighty way. May you increase our faith as we spend time in your word, because we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, as Romans 10, 17 says. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Again, thank you, Ben, for sharing your message. It's really great to see how God worked through you. And God worked in you as well through your missions trip and all the people that were there. I mean, I know I've talked to several of the folks that went there, and they were blessed maybe just as much or more than the people that they were reaching. Um, And, you know, one of the things for me is I always think about serving, and I think about how exciting it is to serve others. Isn't it a great thing to be able to serve others that can't give you anything in return? That's the coolest thing for me. So, again, welcome to our third message, our third sermon on the book of James. And I'm going to give you guys a little background just because some have not heard this message at all um, that we started. Most scholars believe that uh, this book was written by James, who was Jesus' half-brother. Historically, James came to be a believer after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He was writing to the 12 tribes of Israel who had been dispersed for various reasons. A lot of it was because of the persecution that they were facing. So they were in various places all over. And these people were mostly... Jewish Christians, which is kind of neat to see um, because of how the message impacted their lives. So, a little bit of two weeks ago, Elder Jack Sup shared his message entitled Tests in the Word, where we heard from uh, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, that we should count it all joy when we're going through trials, when we face trials, because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance and or endurance. So, that's Tough, as Jack said, to do while you're going through it, but God's Word says that we should do this. Uh, Last week, George Hornicle, Elder George Hornicle, shared from his message about hearing the Word from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, where we heard that we should be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That's part of his message. And then the last part of his message, in my opinion, was that we should be hearers, not just hearers of the Word, but doers as well, because that's way more important than just hearing it. So, my message today is entitled Favoritism in the Word from James 2, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 13. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm not sure if my clicker's working or not. There it goes, okay. Um, so I'm going to read from, I'm going to read the whole passage here real quick. Um, if you guys don't have a Bible, there is a black Bible down in the, in, in the chair in front of you, and I'm going to read from James uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no, no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and are not the rich, the ones who uh, 
who oppress you and, and ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you truly and really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but yet offends in one point or fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit murder, uh, adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So again, my message is entitled, uh, Favoritism in the Word. And this is something that's really a big thing that, that James talks about here. And he's going to talk about it not just in this chapter, but he's going to talk about it a little bit in following chapters. So again, my beloved brethren, or my brothers, show no partiality. Now, sometimes we don't really understand what partiality means, but to me the better translation is show no favoritism. Show no favoritism as you hold to faith. As you claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, we should see everybody as either those who are saved or those who don't know Jesus. So we should not be doing that. We should not be saying, you know, that person looks like a really nice-dressed person. Maybe I should treat him or her a little bit better. Um, now, we've seen in our own lives what favoritism does in families. We know that there are some who are considered the chosen child or the favorite child or what have you, and they're treated better than the other. And what happens is, is the other children are like, whoa, I'm not liking this, or this is, why is my brother or sister treated better than I am by my folks? And we know that causes trouble, and we know it causes trouble also from what we've seen in the Scriptures with Joseph in the Old Testament, how he was the favorite child, and we know where that led in, in his life and in their lives. And I can remember when I was a teenager how I used to do that, how I would hang out with the people who I liked or the people who were like me, and I would, you know, favor them more than people who maybe weren't like me, maybe those who didn't look like me. Um, and one of the things that I, 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 I'm starting to see from this passage of Scripture is if you're showing favoritism as a believer, that's kind of like an oxymoron. And I don't know if you guys all know what oxymorons are, so I'm going to give you a couple examples. Um, jumbo shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> right? They don't go together. Those two words don't go together. What about um, deafening silence? Those two don't go together. Neither does favoritism with being a believer in Jesus Christ, in my opinion, and from what James is saying here as well. So I've got some verses that speak about this, and I always like to go to Scripture to interpret Scripture and to back it up to say, hey, you know what? There's more than just this one little place that it talks about favoritism. So we can read from Acts 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Now this was when Peter was so stuck in the fact that he thought the Jews were the ones that should hear the word. And God gave him a vision that he should go and share with the Gentiles. And you got to remember that the Gentiles and the Romans and so forth were persecuting these Jews, these Jewish people. So God told him, go, do this. They need to hear about the word as well. Uh, next up, we got Romans 2.1. And this is another place, and, and there's lots of places that are talking about like this, for God shows no partiality towards anybody. He wants all to be saved. He wants all to come to repentance that, so that they can be experiencing the, the life with him forever. So I'm going to go to verse 2 and through through 4. So it talks about for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. 
Now, you have to understand that the context of this is somebody who's very rich, somebody who wears bright, shiny clothes, wears lots of gold rings. Gold was very expensive back in those times. So for somebody to wear a ring like that, they were very rich. And then a poor man comes in wearing shabby clothes. And, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, again, sit here in a good place, while you say to the other man, you stand over there and, or sit at my feet, have you not then been distinction, uh, made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, the evil thoughts, in my opinion, are what can I get out of these folks, these rich folk? Come on, they can give me something. The poor, they got nothing. They can't give me anything. They can't meet any of my needs. So that's the evil thoughts, I think, and the evil intentions that, that these folks had because it was all about them and what they could get and what they could do. Now, also, interestingly enough, and I'm going to flip back to this other slide real quick, the word assembly here is the same word that is called synagogue back in the Old Testament times. And if you understand the synagogue and you understand what went on in the synagogue, the rich people or the Pharisees and the Sadducees took the best seats. They took the best seats. They were treated well. They were treated in a favorable way where the poor people would kind of sit down right about there somewhere or maybe even over there because they, didn't, because they weren't favored in any way, shape, or form. So I'm going to ask some questions here in just a minute. Um, and I really want each one of us to think about these things. Um, many people in the world nowadays treat people differently based on many factors, such as where they're from. And I'm going to ask, this is one of my questions. If we did not know who Jesus was, would we have judged him based on where he was born? Nazareth was a place that was, a, was kind of like, um, like Southeast D.C. has become now, let's say that, where it's not a very nice place to go to. And even one of the disciples who was Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth at all? So if we would have seen Jesus and we would have known he was a Nazarene, maybe we would have said, well, there's nothing good about him. Why would I even want to listen to them, to him? Excuse me. <clears throat> Maybe we treat people based on how old they are. Maybe what their nationality is. Maybe what their skin color is. Um, maybe we treat people in different ways because of that political party they belong to. Come on, that one, you, you can't believe what, you know, or whatever, however we treat them. Uh, maybe we treat people differently based on if their morals are the same as ours. Come on, those people are sinners and all those things. I don't want to hang out with them or I don't want to sh show favoritism to them. Maybe we do it based on social status. Again, how much money do they make? Do they wear nice clothes? Are they dressed well? Maybe, and this is a big one nowadays, maybe what their sexual persuasion is. Do we treat people differently based on that? And I'm going to talk about that in a couple minutes. Um, but of course, we know this is not behavior that, that, that any believer should have. We should love each person as, as they are. Um, so here's my question. Are we, each one of us here at Grace Church, willing to not just accept but show the love of Jesus to anyone who comes through those doors back there, no matter what they look like? no matter what they wear, no matter if their lifestyle is different from ours, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to show them love so that we have the opportunity to share Jesus with them? Are we? Some people will say yes. 
Some people say, no, I'm not really ready. I'm not there. I'm not ready to do that. Um, now, I did a lot of looking uh, at different commentaries and so forth as I was, as I was preparing my message uh, this week and the last couple of weeks. And one of the commentaries I came across, um, Warren Wiersbe, who does, has done lots of commentaries from all over the place, made the following statement, which really made some sense to me. And I don't have it as, as a slide for you. But he said, the way we behave towards others indicates what we really believe about God. So my question is, do we want to be known as hypocritical Christians? Do we want people to look and say, y'all are just, you know, you don't, you don't really love people because you treat us differently. Do we want to do that? And I say, of course we don't want to do that. There's no way we want to do that because we are a church who believes that Jesus can be brought to each person that's out there. So we know that God's no respecter of persons, and if he's no respecter of persons, what, 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 what gives us the audacity to think we should be? Why should we even begin to think that we can do that? Um, we should only see two types of people in the world, those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus yet. The ones who don't, do know Jesus will obviously treat us brother and sisters. But when we treat them as brothers and sisters, we'll do like James did here, where he said, hey, you guys, you're doing a little bit of messing up here. You need to get back to what Scripture says. So that's what a brother or sister does in, in, in the faith. A brother or sister will comfort each other, will lift each other up, will do all those things. But the second group of people, like I shared a minute ago, are not believers. How are we going to treat them? Are we going to love them? Are we going to do like Jesus did and meet some of their needs so we have the opportunity to share Jesus with them? Are we willing to do that? So let me get the slide. Sorry. <clears throat> so I did skip a verse a minute ago. Um, this is some verses that I, pulled, that I pulled up because they talk about how the Jewish people were treating others in the synagogues and so forth. So Proverbs 25, 6 and 7 says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. And then in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 7, Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. Don't do what the works that they do. Don't do what they're, tell, uh, what they're showing you. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move with their finger. They do all their deeds, and this is the important part, to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes uh, uh, bigger and so forth, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace where they can be called, hey, rabbi, they just get so much out of this. And that's the wrong behavior, and that's the wrong attitude. So that's where these Jews were coming from that Jesus was talking to. He was saying, hey, guys, you need to, I'm sorry, James was talking to. He said, hey, guys, you need to stop acting like that, like you've done for, for all this time. So we've got uh, James uh, 2, 5, and 6. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. Now, I always like to look at Scripture and ask questions. Why are the poor chosen to be rich in faith? Why did God choose them? 
And I did some looking, and I've been thinking about this a lot, and I'm saying, well, is it because they have no place else or no way to get what they need? They don't even have the money to afford their food. So maybe that's why they're, they're rich in faith. Maybe because they realize that they can't do anything for themselves. They need God to provide everything they have and everything that they, that they do. Maybe, um, excuse me, maybe it's because some of the rich folk that we run into and that, that they were dealing with are lovers of money and more lovers of self than they are of God. So maybe that's why God has chosen the poor to do that. And, of course, we in the United States, we don't really understand poor as much as third world countries where they make in a year what we might make in a day or two. So we really don't understand the poor that, that they're talking about here. Um, excuse me. So, so 1 Corinthians uh, verses 1, 26 and 29 says, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. And a lot of people say, well, I know what the low and despised is. Those are the poor people. Those are the people who, who everybody shuns. Those are the ones. Those are the ones that God chose. Um, even things that are not to bring nothing to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And the next verse, I did not put up on the slide because I, I added this just yesterday or the day before, but it was a really good verse for me to help about the poor. Proverbs 14.21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Now, does the generous part mean just giving? Probably not. It probably means a whole lot more than that because we can give so much to the poor. We can give them honor. We can give them praise. We can lift them up. We can introduce them to the Savior. That's, I think, the more important part of treat, treating them properly. So going back to James, uh, 2, 6b through 8 says, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Now, I did some looking and I did some picking apart of this. Again, because I want to make sure that I understand and that you guys understand what this is talking about. And many believe that the rich here who are oppressing the people were not believers. But some believe that they were too as well. And if they were, then James was saying, hey guys, you're doing the wrong thing here. So he was trying to show them and warn them, hey, you're, you're, you're not living up to the name of Jesus like you say you are. And it does say here, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? They're blaspheming the name of Jesus because they're treating people differently. And I say that in a different, uh, not just differently, but favoritism. So are they not the ones who do this? Do we see this kind of uh, in a thing in our society? Of course we do. We see it all over the world. We see it here in the United States that the poor, I'm sorry, the poor are oppressed by the rich people. The rich people will take the poor to court because there's nothing they can do. Or maybe the rich will act in a certain way knowing that they can get away with it because they have all this money and us folk who don't have the money, we can't do anything about it because we can't sue them or we can't you know, take, take care of things or get things done properly. Um, many believe uh, in verse 8, that the royal law that's talking about here is the Ten Commandments. 
Or maybe it's the law that Jesus gave, and I'm going to get to this in a couple minutes, but many believe it's the Ten Commandments, which the Jews would have been very familiar with. They would have known what the Scripture says, and, and, and part of that is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So because Jews were expected to keep all the Ten Commandments, Jesus is reminding them that they're breaking Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself, which is a summation of the last six of the Ten Commandments. So I've got some more verses that talk about this. Because, again, I love to use Scripture to, to talk about Scripture. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, what is the first commandment of all? Now, understand, when he says first commandment here, he's saying the most important commandment. What is the prime commandment? Not just first in order, but first in importance. That's what we need to understand about that. And Jesus, Jesus answered him and said, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Now, that comes from the Old Testament. I'm not going to talk too much about that, but if you want to look it up, you can see that. And you shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first or most important commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So when James was doing these things, talking to these folks, he was giving them Old Testament scriptures because they knew that. The Jews, Jewish people knew Old Testament very well. So he's given them that to go look at. Um, then we've got next one up, and this is Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we can see that it's from all over scripture that, Jesus, that James is talking about this to them. <clears throat> Verse 9, but if you show partiality or like I said, favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And then my, one of my favorite verses in the world is, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So, got some questions for you guys, and uh, if you want to answer out loud, I'd love to hear it. If not, I will answer it for you. How many sins does it take to deserve hell, which is eternal separation from God? One. Exactly. I see one everywhere. Okay, so if we under understand that, it does take one sin. What did we deserve for the sins we've committed? We deserve death. Okay, now, does that mean physical death now, or does that mean something different? Because a lot of people don't really understand that. We deserve death, but God gives us a way to reconcile himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is without sin. Now, this death that is talked about a lot of times in the New Testament is eternal separation from God forever. That's the death that, that, that we will face or that people will face. So, again, I, uh, you guys answered the questions right, and I think I flipped two, two scripts there. Um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the glory of God. Every single person has sinned. Every single person is guilty. Every single person deserves what? According to Romans, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What you earn by your sin is death. But... And this is, I love when God puts butts in the scriptures like this because it says the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God that he has freely given to each one of us is eternal life. Now, how do we get that eternal life? Um, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, but I'm going to talk about it real quick right here. How do we get eternal life? Well, we have to do a couple things. We have to accept what the scripture says. We have to believe that Jesus died for our sins. We have to confess our sins. We have to turn from our sins. We have to repent of our sins. So there's a, a progression that we have to go through, but I'm going to talk about that more in a little bit. So James 2, uh, verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. 
If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you will become a transgressor of the law. So, to be a transgressor of the law or a lawbreaker, one does not have to break all the laws. Correct? If you go out and you speed, you've broken a law. If you go out and murder, you've broken a law. If you go out and do these things, you've broken a law. And the scripture is clear that if you've broken one, you've broken them all. Because it only takes one sin to get you into hell or eternal separation from God. But how many, um, how many of the laws do you have to keep in order to be a law-abiding citizen? All of them. All of them. And we understand that it's nearly impossible to keep all of the laws. Whether we're talking physical laws, whether we're talking scriptural laws, whatever it is, it's nearly impossible to do that. But because we have a Savior, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can sin less, not become sinless, if that makes sense. So, again, I, again I'd like to go back to, to the Old Testament and look at these because these are what the people were there would have understood. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery from the Ten Commandments that were given. Next up, and we're almost there. Um, so verse 12 and 13 says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And I'll talk about that in a minute. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So he's telling these folks, Look, you guys need to speak and act as if you understand that Jesus gave the law of liberty to us because we can be free from sin forever. We can be forgiven for sin forever. Now, does that mean right now that we'll be free from sin? Of course not. We won't be free from sin until we are in heaven. But like I said earlier, we can sin less. We can choose not to sin. We have the ability, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, to choose not to sin. So act like you understand what and how important the scriptures are and how important salvation is. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. This is talking about those who do not know Jesus. Their judgment is going to be very harsh. They will not receive mercy. They will receive separation from God forever in the place called hell. That's what they'll receive. So, the last part says mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, of course mercy does because God gives us mercy because he gave us the Savior. God gives us mercy because he does not punish us for all the sin that we have done. So God gives us that. So wrapping up, I've got some questions for each one of us. And I want each one of us to really think about these questions and really take these to heart. And I wish I would have put them on the bulletin, but I didn't, so we, we can make those available a different way. Um, question number one, what will I what will each one of us do with what we've heard in the Scriptures today? Will we act like it didn't mean anything to us? Will we act like, oh, that's for somebody else. That's not for me. Maybe, will we act like, wow, that's a lot of work. I don't know if I have the energy or the time or the desire or fill in the blanks. Or will I say, you know what? I'm going to yield to God. I'm going to yield to the Holy Spirit working in my life, and I'm going to do something with these Scriptures that I see. Am I going to look at everybody as... Two things, those who know Jesus or those who need to know Jesus. That's the only ways you should look at people differently. Number two, and this is a big one, because sometimes we go to church on Sunday morning, and by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we may have forgotten what we heard. 
We may have forgotten what God put on our hearts during that time. So will I, will each one of us, act as if this word has no effect on us? God's word is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, and it can do all these things in us, but we have to be willing to actually do something with it. We can't just be hearers only. We've got to be doers as well. Third question, will I love each person I meet the same way Jesus did with open arms? Did he take the outcasts? Did he love them? Did he love lepers? I mean, come on, people stayed away from lepers because they didn't want to catch what they had. Did he hang out with people who knew they were sick and knew that they needed a, a great physician? Is that who he hung out with? Did he hang out with people who were, well, I guess I, the way I can say it is this. If you understand the Jewish history and so forth, the Romans ruled over the Jews in a big way. They, did, they, they were just terrible to them. But will we love even the Romans or those who oppress us like Jesus did? Will we do that? Will we love them? Will we, and, and again, going back to some, what I said earlier, will we love the person who's not like us? Will we love the person who doesn't look like us? Will we per- love the person who doesn't act like we are? Will we love the person who doesn't have the same morals as we do or doesn't even want to know this God that we know? Will we love them in such a way that they might have the opportunity to come to know, to know him. Last but not least, last question. Do I or will I see myself as nothing more than God's vessel to reach a lost and dying world? Um, and this is a big one you have to answer because this is going to say, am I willing to trust God? Am I willing to believe God? Am I willing to do what God wants me to do regardless of how I feel? Will I do that? Or do I see myself as that? If we don't see ourselves as that, why not? Why are we not, why do we take, I guess the question I have is, why do we take the name of Christian and not act like one if we really truly are? So last but not least in my message, and this, I, I'm pretty much done with my message here. If there's anyone in here, and this is something that's big on my heart all the time, who has never been shown from the Bible how they can spend eternity with God in heaven, please come forward at the end of our service. And I or one of the elders will be glad to discuss this with you. Also, if you're in need of prayer, uh, please come forward at that time too. And there'll be someone to pray for you. So if we could have the, um, the prayer team, please come forward at this time. Please bow with me, guys, in prayer so we, can end, so we end our service. But again, if God is working in your heart in any way, shape, or form to either know Him more, to commit your life to him more, to say, God, I've sinned against you, and I need to make this right. Now's your chance, so please bow with me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Please help us to not just be hearers only, but to be doers of your work also. Lord, help your word to penetrate our hearts in such a way that we want, will want to follow you, that we'll want to serve you, that we'll want to serve those in our world who are less than desirable maybe, maybe, again, those who are not like us, Give us the love of Jesus so much that we will just pour that out on those around us so we may have the opportunity one day to share the truth with them, to share your love with them, to share the gospel message with them so that they can spend eternity with you in heaven forever. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.